0: When our kids were young, one of the things that we would do um, when they were misbehaving is to give them a timeout. Uh, there was this uh, chair in the corner of our dining room, and who uses their dining room? You know, not too many of us, right? Um, there was this chair in the corner of our dining room where, again, not too many times were people there. It was kind of isolated and by itself, and that chair in the corner became the time-out chair, and when uh, our kids uh, needed some time to think about what they've done, um, we would have them sit on the timeout chair for five minutes or as they got older uh, for 10 minutes or so. By the way, this also can be a good thing to help um, husbands think about what they've done too. Just a little bit of a tip, a timeout chair for, for husbands might be a, a new thing, um, but a timeout can be a great thing for parents and it allows your, your child to, again, get out of the situation that they're in, to spend some time by themselves, hopefully to think about what they've done, hopefully to think about how, you know, they're going to change and then to leave that chair or timeout in a better place than where they were when they got there. And I was, I was thinking about timeouts as I was studying the text for today, and we'll get to that in a second, but I, I was thinking, you know, not only can a timeout be a good disciplinary type of tactic, but honestly, I think timeouts can be good for all of us, whether it's discipline or not. Intentional timeouts, which lends me to a question that I, I want all of you to think about. How good are you? at sitting and reflecting. There's this book that I read within the last year. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's written by a pastor named uh, John Mark Comer. And one of the the suppositions or presuppositions that he has for the book is one that I, I tend to agree with, is that we all were created by God with a desire for something that is more than this world can give. And ultimately, that thing that we're desiring, that oftentimes lends us to feel restless, is a relationship with God himself. But, unfortunately, when we're not intentional and when we're not thinking about it, even the best Christ follower finds himself or finds herself trying to fill that void that we feel with the things of this world. Here's what John Mark Comer writes. He writes, Tragically, we continue to chase after our desires ad infinitum, and the result is a chronic state of restlessness or worse, angst, anger, anxiety, delusionment, and depression, all of which lead to a life of hurry a life of busyness, overload, shopping, materialism, careerism, a life of more because we're trying to fill in that void that we're feeling, which in turn makes us even more restless and the cycle spirals out of control. Now, he points out that on top of that desire that we have to fill this void, and we, we all feel that void, don't we? There is something else that has happened. And historians uh, say that the way that people think and the way that people act has uh, forever been changed by the invention of these. That this is something that we need to be careful of and actually adds to our restlessness. In fact, there's um, a couple of dates in history over the last thousand years or so that totally changed culture. The first date is this one, 1440. Does anyone know what happened in 1440? Johannes Gutenberg, now some of you know, invented the printing press. And with the ability to get information out to people in a way that had never been possible before, it sparked the Lutheran Reformation, the Enlightenment, and Europe was forever changed. And then the other date, 2007, That probably will go down in history as a date that changed the world in the way that we think is when Steve Jobs introduced, and this isn't one, this is Android, but the iPhone, the Apple iPhone. And again, from that point forward, we we now have the internet and information at the, the tip of our fingers. We have the information of the entire world almost in our front pockets or in our purse. And a Pulitzer Prize-winning author in a book wrote this about the internet. What the net seems to be doing is chipping away my capacity for concentration and contemplation. Whether I'm online or not, my mind now expects to take in information the way the net distributes it. In a swiftly moving stream of particles... Once I was a scuba diver in the sea of words, now I zip along the surface like a guy on a jet ski. The smartphone has put information, some of it good, there's good things about phones too, but a lot of it leading to a continual restless of the mind has put all of that information in our front pockets. And according to one study, um, The average person touches their phone 2,600 times a day. And at the same time, this test or this uh, survey was taken, for millennials, it was twice that. And we are more stressed out. We are more depressed and anxious. We are more unhappy as a culture than ever before. There's a lot of reasons for this, and there's a lot of things we could talk about as solutions, but one of them, the thing that our text leads us to today, is this, our first fill-in. It's important to make time for quiet time. It's important to make time for quiet time. And as we get into the book of Jonah, what we're going to find out today in part two is that God gave Jonah a time out. He gave Jonah, he forced Jonah to just sit and reflect and have some quiet time. But before we get there, I just want to give you a little bit of a recap of where we started last week. So Jonah was a prophet in Israel 700 years or so before Jesus. He was a prophet that was given a specific calling. He was called to go from Israel, Joppa specifically, the town of Joppa, to the city of Nineveh in the Assyrian Empire, and to give them a message from God, a message of, of repentance and returning to the, the true God. And as was pointed out last week, uh, Nineveh was not an easy place to go. The Ninevites uh, were a very vicious people, and the people they didn't like, their enemies, they would do vicious things to them. And so God calls Jonah to go, and Jonah says, no, no. God calls Jonah to go, and Jonah's response is no. In fact, not only am I not going to Nineveh, God, but I'm going to run away. I'm going to go in the opposite direction of Nineveh to a town called Tarshish. And I thought it would be helpful for you to just kind of visualize what actually was going on here with a little bit of a map. So when God called Jonah, He was in Joppa, in Israel. God called him to go to Nineveh. It was 550 miles to the west, or to the east. Instead, Jonah says no, and he heads as far as was possible in the known world at the time to Spain, to the city of Tarshish. That's where the boat was going. And it was pointed out last week that what we see in Jonah is a man who was called to a purpose by God. And yet, he was a runaway. God called him in a certain direction. Jonah's like, I don't want to do that. I'm going to run in the opposite direction. He was a runaway prophet. And we were reminded that uh, we've got a little bit of that in us too, don't we? We know maybe what God wants us to do. But our response, at least in our actions, is no. I'm going to do what I want to do. Whether it's God's command or God's will or God's plan, there's times in all of our lives, maybe you're in one of them now, where we have found ourselves running away. And yet, God's grace is relentless. And here's the thing that we see about God throughout the book, that God doesn't want to get you back. In fact, he took out the payment for our sin on his son. We'll talk about that later. God doesn't want to get you back. He wants to bring you back. And so for Jonah, that meant that God sent a storm on the ship And as they were trying, the people on the ship, to figure out what to do, it all came to a head when they recognized that Jonah was the problem. And um, they threw him overboard into the Mediterranean Sea. And as chapter one records, the storm stopped. But the ship didn't. It kept sailing, And where we left Jonah is he's kind of like, you know, bobbing in the Mediterranean Sea without much hope. Chapter 1, verse 17. The Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, I know one of the questions that maybe you've had or maybe you have right now is, did this really happen? Is this true? Can a person get swallowed by a fish, live and then get, you know, propelled out after three days? Now, it is interesting that there actually is a modern day example of someone who is swallowed by a fish and survived to talk about it. But even if there wasn't any examples I 100% believe this happened. One is because Jesus said it was true. Number two is, well, look at what it says in verse 17. It's very clear. It says that the Lord provided. This was something that God sent. You know, the same God who created the entire world with his words in six days, a same God who can raise the dead who can change water into wine, who can do miracles of all types. Uh, When it comes to a man being swallowed by a fish and living to tell about it, I don't know even if that is in the top 10 of the things that amaze me in the Bible that God has done, right? It's the Lord who provided it. Another thing sometimes that I think, at least for me as a kid, I kind of probably thought about things not in the the total right way. Jonah actually happens to be one of those accounts in the Bible that Sunday schools and North Cross kids love to to teach the kids about. It keeps their attention. I mean, who wouldn't want to talk about a fish swallowing up a person? And in fact, in North Cross kids today, that's the lesson that they're actually looking at. But one of the things that always kind of now in retrospect makes me chuckle is that when you look at some of the the pictures that were shown to Sunday school kids about what this could have looked like is, typically something like this. Like a, a happy fish. And Jonah's just chilling, man. He's got like a studio apartment in there or something. Saw some pictures online of Jonah like in a bed, you know, type of thing. Starting a fire. And it's, it looks so, like, comfortable. That's Sunday school. Not Not reality. Have you ever spent time in a belly? No. Pray we never need to. This has been a horrible experience. Horrible experience. There's, it's dark, it's cramped, it smells horrible. And Jonah's not exactly sure when he, or if he's getting out. Do you, know, um, do you know what God was giving to Jonah? It wasn't a chair in the corner of a dining room. But in the belly of a fish, God not only saved Jonah from drowning, but instead of just, you know, depositing him on shore right away, or sending a boat to save him. He gives him a time out. Because here's what God understood about Jonah and what I hope you understand about you and me. What he understood is this, that Jonah needed a time to think, to reflect, and ultimately, praise God, to turn back to the Lord. And while Jonah was experiencing his three-day timeout, we have recorded for us a prayer that he prayed while he was in the belly of that fish, which I think does just a great, great job of pointing us, of directing us as to what it looks like. How do we use this quiet time with the Lord? How, how can we use a, a timeout as we consider our relationship with God Through the lens of Jonah's relationship with God. Jonah chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, and he said, In my distress, I called to the Lord. And as we continue reading through this prayer, specifically, his distress was, a ship that was being rocked by a storm, and then a situation where he gets thrown out into the water with no way of being saved. Jonah obviously had just gone through some distress and he called out to the Lord. And remember, Jonah was there because he had run away from God's plan. How do you think the Lord would respond to someone who's been running away? Well, typically... The way you'd think a God would respond is, I called out to the Lord in my distress, which I caused, and he did nothing. I called out to the Lord in the distress, the problem, the situation that I caused, and he said, you know what? You got yourself into this mess. Get yourself out of it, Jonah. But what Jonah understood and what he said in his prayer is I called out in my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, you can imagine him um, sort of sinking in the water as he got tired, thinking that he's going to drown, which by the way, people have you know, doctors say would, would be one of the worst ways to die, not being able to, to breathe through drowning. Jonah's going through that in his distress, he called out to the Lord, and you listened to my cry. Our second fill-in is this, that God doesn't leave you in your distress. And sometimes that's a distress, a problem that kind of happened to you that you didn't cause, that really wasn't your fault. It was the, it's essentially just a product of living in a sinful world. God doesn't leave you in that distress. He's right there with you. But, but here's the harder one. What about the ones, the distresses, that we go through that I did cause that was, was my problem my issue my, my marriage is in shambles and I, the reason is is because I did this or I didn't you know put my focus where it should have been I neglected that relationship we're going bankrupt and the reason is is because I made fin- bad financial decisions there are, there are distresses and there's dilemmas that we have caused where is God in those? well Where was God with Jonah in the distress that he caused? He was there. God, in his relentless love, is always with you and does not leave you in your distress, whether it's a distress that happened to you or one that we caused. I'm gonna say it this way. God, in his love, will either get you out of that distress or he'll get you through. He'll either get you out or he will get you through. That is the, the joy and the blessing that is ours and the one that Jonah recognized while he was in the fish. Verse three. You, God, Hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Once again, he's recalling and recounting what it felt like to be drowning in the Mediterranean Sea. And notice he says, God, you hurled me. Technically, that wasn't accurate. It was the sailors (laughs) that hurled Jonah. But what Jonah is coming to recognize and to realize and to know, to admit, is that all of this happened not by accident. It happened because Jonah was a runaway. And God was behind this, not vindictively, not to get Jonah back, but to bring Jonah back. And we see in Jonah here an acknowledgement of who he disappointed of who he had sinned against. We have acknowledgement as he says, God, you hurled me of Jonah coming to recognize and to confess his sin. That God called him, he ran in the other direction. And in the midst of our sin, which can cause lots of problems, and we all have it, sin, we have a, a gracious, loving God that Jonah reaches out to A God who, number three, invites you to be honest and to repent. I don't know if you've ever felt this before, but I bet we all have. Um, Sometimes sin that we've caused can feel like a weight. This is just 30 pounds. It feels heavier than that, though, but it feels like a weight, right? Right? And a lot of times that weight gets even a little bit heavier when we recognize, and we talked about this last week, of of how our running from God can affect the people around us too. And there are consequences to sin. But one of the amazing things that is our gift as being a follower of Christ is that God in his love does not want you, even if it's a really big thing that you did, he doesn't want you to live the rest of your life carrying around a big old dumbbell of sin. But in fact, he says, confess it to me. Turn to Jesus and put down the weight. And that's what Jonah was doing. He was in timeout. He was reflecting and he confessed in honest repentance. Um, here's how John wrote it in a letter that he wrote in the first century. He said, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Sometimes, when we're feeling the weight of sin and of of a life that we messed up, I have seen people turn to a whole bunch of different things. They try to numb it with alcohol or other types of things. They try to potentially just avoid it and ignore it through just focusing on career or vacations or buying stuff. Sometimes people do nothing with it, and so they just become angry and bitter or anxious and sad. Sometimes we need just time to reflect and to be very regular with confession. There is power in verbally and intentionally confessing our sin to the Lord. And then in verse four, it's kind of where it, I'll call it sort of the, the, the pivot point of Jonah's prayer. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Now, as Christians living in 2023, we lose some of the realness that comes with uh, what would have been thought about in Jonah lifting his eyes of his heart towards the holy temple. You see, the temple in the Old Testament, yes, it was a building, it was a church, it was, but it was more than that. The temple was the place where God's justice and grace came together, intersected. And when you went to the temple, you recognized there is a big gap between who God is and who I am. Some of those ways were that you had to be ceremonially clean to go to the temple. And if you were not ceremonially clean, you could not go there because there is a gap between a holy God and me. There was a room called the Holy of Holies. It was a place where the special presence of God dwelt along with the Ark of the Covenant. If a sinful person, which is who? Anyone, If anyone went into the Holy of Holies, there is one exception one day of the year. We won't get in that today. But if you went into the Holy of Holies, special presence of a holy God, you know what happened to you? You died. People had to bring sacrifices to go to the temple. Because there is a separation between a holy God and sinful people. But at the temple, it wasn't just the justice of God that Jonah would have remembered, and that people would have thought about. There was also it was also the place where God's grace was seen. And you see, through those animal sacrifices or grain sacrifices, there was an announcement that all there there's a big gap between you and a holy God. Someone's coming. The Lamb of God is coming to forgive sin and to restore that relationship with him. And so when when Jonah looked at the holy temple, he's thinking of sin, he's thinking of grace. It's the place where God's grace and justice intersected. For us, the place where all that culminated is the cross. You see, for us, the cross is the place where God's justice and grace intersected where you can't help when you look at the cross not to think about the heaviness of our sin. An innocent man, Jesus, died there, did nothing, yet suffered tremendously. If there is not a little bit of a a sadness in part over sin when you look at the cross, we're not thinking about it correctly. But at the very same time, the overwhelming feeling when you look at the cross is that of grace and of a Jesus, of a God who loved us enough to suffer hell in our place, that he took the cross. So sinners like you and me, who cause distress, who run away, might have grace and a relationship with God. And in fact, and in a very interesting way, the culmination of that grace and salvation as Jesus was teaching about it once. You know who he referenced? He referenced Jonah. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 12, it's recorded. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. My friends, I don't know what distress you've caused But here's what I do know. Number four, with Jesus, there is always hope. With Jesus, no matter who you are or what you've done or what things are going on, there's still a God, the Father, who wants a relationship with you. With Jesus, there is always hope. Let's read the rest of Jonah's prayer. Verse five, the engulfing waters threatened me The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head, sinking down. To the roots of the mountains, below the water, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord, my God, you brought my life up from the pit. How did he do that? Well, in real time, it was through a fish that swallowed him alive. You saved me, he says, verse 7. When my life was ebbing away... I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. See, what I've learned, Jonah is saying, that those who cling to worthless idols, like my own desires for what I want to do, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, now, with shouts of grateful praise, as I'm stuck in a fish, I'm saved. I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And do you know what happened next? Verse 10. The Lord commanded the fish, it's gross. <laughs> and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I'm not gonna even go into the roots of the Hebrew word there. We all know what vomit is, okay? Okay. So Jonah the prophet, the runaway. Midst of a storm, swallowed by a fish, come back to repentance. Oh by the way, he wasn't a final or perfect product. We're going to see in a couple of weeks that Jonah he still had some issues that he was working through. But he also had forgiveness. He's vomited it onto dry land, and you know what God does next? He calls him again to go to Nineveh. What do you think he did? Very simply, in verse 3 of chapter 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. I suppose he did. I think you would. And once again, I would like to tell you that from here, Jonah faithfully followed God, didn't have any issues anymore, just you know, was the perfect prophet. That doesn't exist, and that is not Jonah, and that's not you and me. He had his issues. We're going to be looking at them in a couple weeks. But what we do come back to in this chapter and this time of Jonah being given, put into time out, the application I think we all need to hear is sometimes we need to just stop and think too. We're so tired and restless as a people. We're trying to fill that hole that we have, that we all have, that only can be filled by God with the things of this world. And we're all guilty of it. Here's what John Mark Comer writes. So many people today live without a sense of God's presence through the day. We talk about his absence as if it's this great question of theodicy, uh, which essentially is a, i had to look it up. <laughs> it's a word that is sort of describes how sometimes people wonder about God's existence because of the existence of evil in this world. And he says, I get that. I've been through the dark night of the soul. But could it be that with a few set exceptions, we're the ones who are absent and not God? We sit around sucked into our phones or TV or to-do lists, oblivious to the God who is around us, with us, and in us. Man, that cuts my heart. And it's so true. And not that we have to have to throw away our phones and get rid of our TVs. You can if you want, but at the end of the day, though, I don't think that's the answer but I do think it's balance. And here's my encouragement and my application for you. What if, maybe if you've never done this, start with once a week. For those of, others of you, I think eventually getting to once a day. You just took time for a timeout. You know, this isn't, I'm not talking about your, your devotion time or reading the Bible time. That's a, that can be coupled with it. This is something slightly different. You just take time to think and reflect. A, a room you like to be in, some quiet music or a quiet time, the kids are napping type of time, and you just stop for five minutes, ten minutes, just think and reflect and Here's maybe how it looks. You can start, I would encourage you, by just in the quiet giving thanks. Start with gratitude because there is always things to thank God for, even in the belly of the fish. Jonah is thanking God for being in the belly of the fish because it was the way that God saved him. And if you want, write some things down. Use that as a a reference, as a history of the way that God has blessed you as you write it down in a journal or something. So give thanks, number two, confess sin. There is power in verbalizing our sin and confessing it to the Lord. It doesn't make you any more forgiven, but sometimes it allows you more easily to put the weight down. Confess sin, and then like Jonah, we're not looking towards the holy temple, but look towards Jesus. Look towards the cross in that quiet time. And remind yourself that although I have sinned, although I have done this or that, that is not who I am. I am a child of God bought by the blood of Christ. And when you're done with that, five minutes, ten minutes, you might start liking it. Maybe it'll be longer. Then answer God's call. I don't know. Probably not sending you to Nineveh. But he's sending you to work sending you to school, sending you to work, but work is not who you are. It's just where you make money and have an opportunity to make a difference. He's calling you to school and being a student and getting good grades is not who you are. It's just a place you go to to learn and to make a difference. And I think just like with time and time out, (laughs) we'll be able to better navigate our day by simply taking time to reflect my friends we live in a in a world where there are so many different voices that are trying to get our attention and if we're not intentional we're going to be led down certain paths that are going to take us into places where the hurry and the trying to fill the void with different things other than God are going to take us into worry and anxiety and anger and other things. And it's not something we need to be afraid of because God is with us. How good it is for us to be intentional with quieting our hearts. Because you know what? In the good days, he's with you. In the bad ones, he's with you too. In the moments of health, he's there. And in the moments of death, he's right there with you. He was with Jonah in the belly of a fish. And he's with you right now. Right? Dear Heavenly Father, um, we thank you that you walk with us and that uh, because of you, we are never alone. Lord, There are times where um, we've just been too much in a hurry and uh, sometimes that's been on purpose. Other times we just forget. And Lord, wherever we are on that spectrum, I pray that you would work in us a desire and an understanding of the importance of just reflecting and taking time to realize the bigger picture of who we are and that only you can fill that hole. Help us to leave this place like Jonah left that fish on a mission to live for you in response to your love. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.